Hi everyone, it's Joachim Akren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. In this episode, I have a chat with Hakan Ulvan, the co-founder and CEO of Bigger Games from Istanbul, Turkey. Hakan and his co-founders left Peak Games a few years ago to start working on their own game studio. In this episode, we talk about their approach to making games, how the Turkish gaming ecosystem has evolved over the years, and what will happen next. But before we go to the episode, here's a few words from our sponsors. Hey game developer, are you looking for great new authentic video creatives? Try something totally new with influencer-generated content IGC by Opera Event. Influencers and actors will make specific creative content for your games. An Opera Event will deliver you high-quality video ads that highlight the best parts of your game. Get a free video with a purchase of four or more videos. Remember to say that Elite Game Developers sent you to claim your free video. Go to getigc.com to see some examples and get more information. That's getigc.com. All the developers out there that are looking for an easy game server auto-scaling solution should definitely check out GameEye. Choosing GameEye means choosing your players, as GameEye is a platform-independent solution. Game sessions are spread out over multiple providers to ensure redundancy and to achieve the best possible coverage in every region of the world. GameEye is your one-stop shop for all your server orchestration needs. They have many integrations already in place, ready to go. You also can connect to your favorite matchmaker, anti-cheat solution or network optimization tool to their orchestrator and start running game sessions. They provide the APIs for this. Take advantage of automated capacity management and always have resources to run game sessions. Scale when you need it in locations close to your players. Check out GameEye.com, that's GameYE.com, to see what they're up to and to connect with them. Hi, Hakan. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Joachim. How's things there in Istanbul? It's going great. Uh, the weather is not great, but I guess Finland should be worse right now. <laughs> how, about, how about there? It's like zero, so it's sort of like, I don't know if it's it's sort of better than it if it would be like plus two because that's all or plus four is the worst yeah there's like snow that is very wet and that's never nice so this is good yeah i have been in finland like many times and in the worst weather as well like minus 15 or 20 degrees i have seen (laughs) (laughs) yeah that that's actually good because then it's it's sort of like that is supposed what winter is supposed to be so you're sort Uh of like you're taking uh like you can put on the proper clothes and you're going to get like too hot or what. And yeah. and usually the winter sports are also do much more doable then. Yeah. One, one of the winter sports I have done there, which is uh, ice dipping, not, not ah, a sport. Ah, course, okay. Great. <laughs> Here in Helsinki, did you go and? Yeah. Has, 
one in Helsinki and once in Tampere. Ah, uh, you you've yeah. seen it all already. <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 extremely fun thing. It's extremely definitely fun. It is after the sauna, at least. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey man, let's get into these topics that we wanted to talk about today. You're the founder of uh, Bigger Games in Turkey, but like, let's go back into the days when you were getting into game game development. And can you talk us through like? those kind of like that career path and what eventually led you to to start bigger games yeah actually right after the university i started in uh, this kind of like telecommunication company and after that like a banking so it was a really classic path for if you look for a great p- uh, career path you generally uh, you know work on these kind of uh, companies and i was trying to do the same uh, but i realized that i actually would like to work in more of a startup company and um, I was looking for a startup job while I was in bank. I was looking for a startup job and just coincidentally, uh, I got a job in peak game. So I was not looking for a job in gaming and I was not even a gamer uh, that time. It was a startup company and peak was doing really good in Turkey. So I entered peak uh, without knowing that I'm gonna whether I'm gonna like gaming or not. But you know, I was extremely lucky that I loved gaming from day one. And Peak was building a new studio, Casual Puzzle Studio, at that time, to enter, you know, Casual Puzzle uh, genre. And I was one of the first members there, and we worked on Toy Blast from scratch. So it was actually extremely, um, you know, great experience for me to understand the gaming and, uh, you know, all these uh, market, etc. And you know, then the, the main reason that I entered, uh, you know, Peak, and I was looking for startup job is eventually I wanted to, uh, you know, launch my own startup uh, at the end. Even I said this in in the interviews while I was looking for a startup job at that time, including Peak Games, actually, uh, I mentioned about this. And, you know, finally, I, you know, met with Yoz and Erkan uh, in Peak. Uh, we worked together, especially with Yoz, we worked together for Toy Blast. And Arkham was a developer in the board studio, another studio of Peak Games. And when we feel that the time is ready, we just moved on with uh, bigger games. Nice. That's a really good path. I think like a lot of folks who come from like outside of gaming and they want to go into startups like that, that kind of path through a bigger company and learning the ropes and seeing how, how this industry really works is, is a really good path. Like, of course, not everybody's sort of like as patient as you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, of course, there are many people out there. They just would like to, for example, even they're in banking, for example, they just want to launch a company in gaming and they can do it. Uh, there are these kind of people as well. I'm not one of those people. Uh, I just, you know, I always felt that I need to go step by step. And even we're doing mm. the same step by step approach under bigger games, actually. So we need to like, okay. Our uh, ambitions are really high, but if you would like to go to, you know, this place, we need to just, you know, take our steps uh, one by one and we need to explore the first area and then the second area and then the third area. So it's, it's this is very similar, I think, in my career as well. Yeah. You started Bigger Games. What was, what's been the strategy for Bigger Games and was it like clear the first day you started the company? Actually, from day one, it was clear and it didn't change until now. That doesn't mean that it's not going to change. I mean, it can change. Uh, we're not like strict about this, but at least until now, it didn't change. So we just, you know, as a team, our strategy was and is 
creating great games for um, you know millions of people and we would love to let these people play our game like you know years or over, over years and we have tasted this feeling actually uh, while we were working in peak like toy blast tomb blast and these kind of games so it's a great feeling so we actually would like to do the same under our own environment uh under bigger let's say but if we talk more about uh you know the market it's and opportunities in this market i need to go back to you know uh, like for five years ago. So when we started Toy Blast, everybody said that the market is already saturated with, uh, you know, Candy Crush and the other other king games, etc. But Toy Blast became really successful afterwards. And while we were starting Toon Blast, everybody said that Toy Blast and Toon Blast will cannibalize each other. But that didn't happen. And eventually Toon Blast became even more successful. And right after that, we can see that these games with meta games in this market, like gardens, I mean, the Playrix games or these gardens games, Lily's Garden, etc., these kind of games, we can see that these are going extremely well right now in the market. And, you know, everybody is thinking that all people who, are actually, who were actually warning us while we were working on Toy Blast and Tubulas, they were actually underestimating the audience size in casual uh, genre. And still people are underestimating. So that's why we believe that in casual puzzle and casual, there are still great opportunities. So that's why, you know, we would like to be in a casual, especially casual puzzle, because we have a deep know-how there. And there's, I'm talking about, you know, there's a great opportunity in the market, but at the same time, these casual puzzle games are extremely difficult. So you need to, if you want to come up with a, a great game, you need to be successful at the every layer of the game. So you have to come up with a great level design. You have to come up with the art style, the theme, and even the uh, performance of the game has to be top-notch. That means that that is very difficult uh, to come up with a great game. And there's also marketing in this. I mean, we I, I didn't talk about that yet, but there's also, which is extremely important. So because of our deep background there, you know, we feel that there's a great opportunity there, but it's very difficult to uh, capture. But at the same time, we have very deep experience there. That's why we are kind of advantageous position about this casual puzzle genre right now. That's why from day one, it was the main plan to go towards casual puzzle. But you can, if you look at our games, you can say easily ask that, okay, but your games are not in casual puzzle until now. Because it's like, you know, when we were starting at the beginning of 2019, we were just Three people, and it was our like, first uh, experience to launch a company. And if you want to create a casual puzzle, uh, casual puzzle title, uh, you need to have at least like let's say fifteen people, and you need to work together with this large team for let's let's say at least one year for until soft launch. So you know, for a new company, it's uh, something big. So we just thought that we can just you know try to enter the market with very simple games. And we were lucky that at that time, HyperCasual was uh, doing really good at that time. So we just thought that it might be a good opportunity for us to start with these simple games while we were building our team and the culture and all the company setup, let's say. And then we can, uh, when we feel ready, we can move on with the main plan. And it worked really, really well until now because, you know, we got a seed in, pre-seed investment from Play Ventures in March 2019. And within two months, Actually, like in May, the company was already profitable uh, with our first game. So this is, I think, this, this is this is really good for a like you know brand new startup. And on you know 
one and a half year or something, we worked on these uh, games and we, you know, created, let's say we tested more than 10 games. Four of them uh, became really successful. And one of the most important parts here that the, 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 the company had live games in, in hand. So that means that all the team worked for live games, including marketing. So that let us spend millions of millions of dollars for marketing, uh, which is very important because like, if you want to create a successful game, you also have to excel in marketing. So we, that, you know, with these simple games, we get a chance to create a com- uh, team, marketing team from day one who works with the real money. So that was also great. And, you know, we just, after one and a half year, let's say, we just felt that we were ready to move on. And the team was already like big enough to, you know, to move on with uh, casual puzzle titles. So we just got an uh, investment, uh, you know, uh, from Index at that point. So it's a very recent round, it's a six million round. And we're mm-hmm. right now planning to, you know, increase the team size and focus on these casual puzzle titles uh, with yeah. this new investment right now. Yeah. I want to come back to bigger games soon. But first, I want to touch base on the the Turkish game startup scene. So like in your words, what has really inspired all these game developers in Turkey to get started with gaming studios? Of course, there's this, this M&A activity with Peak and Rolik, very impressive stuff. Is there yeah. other stuff underlying there? Definitely. Actually, like many people are asking this question and I think they are expecting some romantic or interesting answer, but uh, I don't believe in this. Uh, there's anything romantic or interesting behind uh, this trend. So actually, there are a couple uh, factors for this trend in Turkey right now. Uh, one of them, actually, you have told a little bit, which is actually when there's a really large and big company or let's say a huge success in one country, of course, that company affects other companies and other, uh, I mean, the uh, all the ecosystem in this market. So uh, I'm talking about Peak, of course, here. Uh, so uh, before going Peak, I guess, I mean, there should be a similar thing in Finland. I'm not sure I'm correct mm-hmm. or not, but there's Supercell there. Of course, you can ask that why Supercell became successful, etc. So we can go on with these questions. But when I look at from far away, I can see that there's Supercell there. And I'm sure that Supercell had a great impact on the other studios. And in Turkey, this definitely, this definitely happened. Like, look at me, for example. I mean, I was in a bank and I was looking for a startup job and I might not, uh, you know, uh, get into gaming at that time if there, there were no, uh, let's say, uh, uh, Supercell uh, uh, peak at that time in Turkey. And, and of course, I mean, oh, there are lots of people, talented people in Turkey. They were not thinking that there, there might be a great career path in gaming so they have seen it with these like big success and also whoever you go and ask in turkey that is it possible to create a global success from turkey it would like everybody said uh, would say that it would be very very difficult but like everybody has seen that this is possible uh, you can with peak i mean you can create a global success from turkey so this is i think very very important uh, this is one 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 point and there's another point which is about more about economy and also like the currency uh so um you know like last couple of years or more than a couple of years actually the turkish economy was not going really great and uh, and there are lots of talented people and entrepreneurs in turkey they of course would like to launch their own companies startups etc and 
it, when when your economy is not going good, you know, uh, you look for other kind of uh, options that you can create some values that you can sell to, you know, abroad. I mean, the other countries which has good economy at the, at the moment. So global audience, etc. So gaming is, I think, the one of the best fit here. So you just come up with a team in Turkey and it doesn't matter how your currency is, how your economy is or whatever. You can just sit down and create a game here and you can just do marketing for global audience. So this is, I think, also very important. I mean, you can say that this is this is also a factor for every com- every country, but the, one of the main differences here, the economy was not going good here. So if you're an interp- entrepreneur, gaming would be the best choice here. And you have already seen that Peak managed it. So, and you, your friends are working in like Peak or other uh, successful gaming companies here. You have seen that, etc. So, and I mean, these factors come together, uh, work all together. And there is one, 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 one point, one more point. Actually, let's say, uh, you know, this is again about economy. Again, this is investment opportunity. So, if you consider Turkey, it's not the best place that all these foreign VCs are coming and trying to do investment. It's not the place. It's not like that in Turkey. But now, like many investors know that the gaming is flourishing in Turkey. They have seen that these MNAs, Zynga, Pig, etc., these kind of stuff. Uh, and they, they look for investing in Turkey right now. And and if you're an entrepreneur and if you look for, if you uh, launch a company, it's, I think, right now easier to get an investment if you launch a gaming company right now. Other than, I mean, these other invest, these other industries would be more difficult to get investment. So this is, I think, also very, very important. Uh, and also, like, if you look at the marketing detail, we can, you know, I have even talked with, some private equities in Turkey. Normally, they don't invest in gaming. At least, they don't invest in startups. But yeah. these private equity, co- equity companies, even they look for investing in Turkish. I mean, tur- I'm talking about Turkish private equity companies because, like, normally they don't consider startups. But if you look at from their objective, they need to do investment in Turkey. Their mandate is in Turkey, so they can't go and invest other countries, right? So they need to invest in Turkey. And if you look at the market. The, uh, if the economy is not going really in the best. So the gaming becomes one of the best options to invest. So right now, even Turkish private equity companies look for investing gaming startups. So this is, I think, uh, important. And there's like one final thing. This one is more, I don't know, my uh, observation. It's, uh, you know, in Turkey, trends are really important. And when there is one kind of trend in Turkey, like everybody rush into that. So right. for example, so, for example, I mean, of course, this is maybe similar to all over the world. I don't know, but my 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 like, I'm talking about just my observation in Turkey. So there is, for example, a couple of years ago, there was uh, a, a trend about a special dessert, which is called lokma in Turkish, and uh, suddenly every corner became a uh, like dessert shop which sell this kind of special dessert everywhere. I mean, it was really extreme, and you know, a couple of years later, of course, that trend moved moved away. And these um, shops either pivot to like, become a different kind of uh, gaming, uh, um, sorry, uh, dessert shop, or they just go bankrupt. So I think in gaming also there's a really big trend right now in Turkey. Like everybody's trying to launch a, a gaming company right now. Mm. What do you think about like then the country itself? Is there like a 
you know, is the government helping out the tech scene? And is there enough talent available for these gaming studios? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so first, uh, let's talk about, uh, like, in general, the government and the startup friendliness in general, and then, uh, like, this talent uh, uh, pool. I don't believe that Turkey is a really startup-friendly country. That's not the case, and that's not the reason for this uh, gaming uh, startups flourishing in Turkey. They're not, uh, I mean, this startup friendliness is not the reason, and it's not a startup-friendly country. For example, our like bigger games. It's uh, we established the uh, parent company in the UK, so it's kind of a UK company right now uh, and operating in Turkey. And I can easily compare Turkey and UK right now because we have two companies in two countries right now, and. Even even we're far away from UK, it's I think easier to manage uh, the UK part. And there are, of course, there are some incentives in Turkey, but they're either very small or very very complex to apply, or you apply but it's very difficult to get your like incentive uh, at the end in Turkey. But in UK, we have already actually you know uh, benefit from a couple of incentives. Already, I mean, until now, and uh, we are also planning to apply more. And it's very, very like much more easy and much more, let's say, clear about like how to apply all the process and everything. And uh, even even this accounting is much, I think, easier in the UK. So let me give you one example. In UK, for example, we just got a huge amount of VAT return like a month ago, but in Turkey. It's a really pain to get your VAT back from the government. So it's, it's, I mean, you can, eventually you can, but it takes time and it's difficult and lots of bureaucracy, et cetera. So that's why, and also let's look at the legal structure. I mean, the legal, there's even no really legal, real legal structure for stock option agreements, et cetera. So that's why I don't know. I don't feel that this is the main reason about the Turkish ecosystem in gaming right now. And let's talk about the talent pool as well. Yeah. You know, I think like there are extremely talented people in Turkey and also it's 80 million countries. So like population is huge. There are extremely talented people. And also I think people are extremely hardworking here. So that's what, that means that you can find talented and hardworking people in Turkey. That's really, really good. The sad part here is um, like many talented people are also leaving the country to you know, move to like Europe or US, etc. But I, I still believe that there is like, you know, there is still great talent pool in Turkey and there will be more and more because, you know, if you look at the gaming market, the startups right now, the number of uh, startups, gaming startups are increasing faster than uh, the talent pool. So, of course, that actually make it a little bit more difficult because there's competition about the talent right now in Turkey. But I believe that together with these uh, startups, there will be lots of new talents as well because of these startups. So that, uh, that's why I believe that, I mean, the talent pool is going to be, you know, get better and better in Turkey as well. O- already it's good and it's going to be better and better. That's what I feel. I wanted to actually talk about kind of like what's happened in just like in the last 24 months. So I, or sort of like put these together, like the Zynga deal happened or those two, or there were several Zynga deals that were happening in Turkey. Do you think that immediately changed things? And how do you see kind of like the fundraising actually going through? There's a lot of appetite for, for Turkish startups, but is it like, has it changed? Did it change just like recently? Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, before Zynga deal, before the first Zynga deal in, in Turkey, uh, 
I was not that much aware of the gaming ecosystem in Turkey, the other startups, etc. I mean, I knew Grandma, Soma, etc. But uh, that's it. I mean, I didn't know all these startups, etc. And there were there were not a lot of them, uh, or or I didn't know, let's say. But uh, but I can say that things started to change. I think. Uh, before the deal, uh, before Zynga deal, I mean, there was already some other new gaming companies we started to see in this market, new startups, etc. And of course, the Zynga deal uh, and Zynga deals, let's say, also like you know, let's say, accelerated it, it very much because uh, one of the like in, in both sense it's accelerated. One, the all the investors and VCs started to see Turkey. Well, it's possible in Turkey there might be great companies, etc. They started to say. At the same time, at the same time, all these like talented people in Turkey and entrepreneurs, they started to see that well, there's actually uh, this gaming industry, and and it's possible to create some, uh, um, you know, something great in here. And you know, lots of talented people are working in management consultancy or this kind of like FMCG or banking or whatever, and they also have seen that. There might be great opportunities uh, in this, uh, and great, there might be great career paths as well in in gaming. Even, even people's families, I think, they started to think that there might be great career. Like normally, like your family might have some. I don't know how Finland is, uh, and I guess it's uh, not similar in, in this sense. But your family might have and some effect on your career choices in Turkey. I mean, uh, your or your. I mean, it doesn't have to be. Uh, family it, it can be your loved ones or whatever and even like people who are not in gaming they start to see that there might be something there so i think like this this changed this changed a lot in, in the market yeah that's interesting hey then going back to bigger games for a bit here like I, i wanted to kind of something came up when you were discussing how you started off which i i'm sort of like throwing in this curveball here but like When you were starting off, what kind of founding team, the founders, did you want to have? What kind of skills, attitude? Can you can you describe that? Yeah, you like I as far as I understand, you're not talking about the founding, like you're not talking about co-founders. You're talking about the core team at the beginning. Yeah, I would say like who did you need to start doing stuff like games? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I think it's. Yeah, answer is kind of obvious here. Of course, there should be one uh, product guy uh, in gaming, and uh, you know we were coming from gaming, so that's why we were not looking for a product guy from the beginning. And we're still not looking for a product guy. Actually, I mean, we're looking for. Uh, we generally look for other industries for product person in this company. So we mm-hmm. just, you know, let's say they learn here. Uh, we're okay yeah. to get a person from banking, for example. And oh, like like uh, I'm skipping product person. So of course, again, a developer who knows I think gaming. I mean, if you are a big company, you can work with I think many developers who are not from gaming, and you can try to teach people about this. But for us, I mean, for example, I was saying the same for product person. But for uh, development part, I think it takes uh, it might take a really long time. So that's why we always looked for. People who at least know some gaming in development uh, when you're looking for a developer guy, uh, because it take like it might take. Uh, in the, on the other hand, it can take really long time for us to you know uh, for for him or her to come to that point uh, for gaming. And um, 
as I told you, like, of course, artists, we need them. There are many, I think, great artists in, in uh, let's say, ad agencies. I don't know in English, this is the correct word, but like, let's say, ad agencies, etc. There are uh, great talents, in, in I think, uh, in general. So, of course, you need, uh, uh, like, artists. And, and, uh, and from day one, uh, we wanted to focus on marketing as well. So in our story, it was, it was interesting because we were two product guys. So me and Yils, uh, we were working together in Peak. But Yils became the marketing guy under our own company. So it was a you know interesting move for us. We said that we can try that out, and if they don't, if they, you know doesn't work, then we can try to get one of the best person in the market marketing. We can we can do that, and it worked out very well actually. So uh, because um, eventually it's really analytical thing. Uh, and trial and error, this marketing thing. And we have done, you know, lots of trials and errors and everything. And eventually, let's say, uh, go well. So these four people uh, were the core team for us at the beginning. Uh, and it was enough for our first game to develop. It was totally enough to develop and also do marketing for the first game. Because even, even at the very first day, our artists uh, created some ad creators. But... We just it's like as soon as we have our own like you know first game we we like you know we started to expand the team uh, to like let's say like eight people ten people so because eventually we're not okay with having a, for example a marketing guy who works for product or a, a game artist guy who works for marketing guard as well like we we're not okay with that uh, so we just you know. It cre- created all the, uh, you know, hired new people and created our, our own setup. So I don't know. I answered better. I answered your yeah. question. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess it's more about like if you were two product co-founders, then you sort of like have <laughs> figured out the work, like the hardest bit already. I would say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, can you talk about like how do you then develop your games? You just mentioned that your artist was basically making an ad. As the first thing, which is yeah. really like, can you talk about those components that go in from, you know, having a, a concept on the table, the prototyping and making ads like very early on? Yeah, you're talking about the kind of pipeline or uh, yeah. like what kind of yeah. pipeline? Okay. okay, I got it, I got it. Uh, so it's, uh, as you know, like when you look at our background, we have both hyper-casual and casual puzzle. So, so uh, I think first we need to differentiate that because sorry, uh, on the uh, hyper-casual part, it's more about actually the marketing and more about a first prototyping, let's say. Uh, it's it's much more important. And uh, that's why what we were doing here is like we were just looking at, the, you know, we were uh, every week we were trying to come up with a new game. And uh, at the very, very, very early stage, we were trying to test the marketability. Marketing is extremely important for Hypercache game. So it's a marketing first and speed first genre for, I mean, hypercache. Mm. But if you look at casual puzzle parts, it takes really long time to develop these kind of games. So that's why, and also it's extremely difficult kind of game because you have to be successful in at the many layers. And if you fail, there might be many reasons behind that. So your performance might not work. I mean, uh, your art style might not work or your marketing or your level design or your uh, uh, gameplay, metagame, etc. I mean, there are lots of um, uh, layers. So you have to be successful at the, at the every layer. And because it's very, very like, because it's very difficult to find 
where you fail, and of course you're going to fail at the first one. So because it's very, very difficult to find where you fail, we always look at the market very, very, in very details, let's say, try to understand the best practices in the market and uh, try to come up and use the, these best practices in our first release at least. So that means that we can, when we fail, we can understand that we can, I mean, it might be much easier for us to find where we failed. For example, if it is level design, it might be much better for us to find our art style because we already uh, used many strict uh, rules about going towards the best practices in the market. So this is this is one of the important parts, but that doesn't mean that we're going to stop there. So when you have your own game and when, we see, when you see that it works at some point, you need to constantly improve this game. And even like four years, five years later, you can keep improving these games and testing uh, new features like constantly. And, and we always think that as a company, I mean, we are not innovation-driven company actually. There are many companies out there, they look for innovation, etc. For us, it's like constant improvements. We look for constant improvements and we believe that it's a, like innovation is a like inevitable byproduct eventually yeah. uh, that you end up. In the game industry, you have these kind of 40-20-10 retention targets, uh-huh. whatnot. Like if you're going after a product which you are anyways going to be improving for like four, five, six years into the future... Uh, and beyond that as well like do you even does it even matter like where you hit in the first soft launch you know versions uh, so we're not saying that we need to strictly follow these uh, numbers but but still of course this number has meaning so for example i'm not saying that uh, with the first release we, we're going to look for maybe day seven uh, because maybe there will be really really like uh, not ama- not enough amount of levels maybe but of course we look for day one that doesn't mean that if day one is uh, low then we will kill it that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that but we have to of course we have to of course like uh, look at these numbers uh, even after the soft launch I mean even during the soft launch let's say uh, we have to look at these numbers so yeah, it's not strict for us, but we are definitely looking at, and this is this, and especially retention number. And there is one more thing actually in this market right now. If you look at these casual puzzle titles, four years ago, you can come up with a new game that you only focus on the product, but not focusing on the marketability. And eventually, you would you would uh, find a way in marketing. That's how actually we built in Toy Blast and Toy We never actually at the very first day talked about marketing or marketability. But if you look at today, the market is extremely competitive. The CPIs are extremely high. That means that your LTV has to be extremely high as well. But at the same time, you need to think about, I think, marketability of the game. So from day one, that, that doesn't change, for example, our pipeline a lot, but we talk about that. We think about that, the, the marketability of the game, whether we, like, we're also looking at the new trends in, in ad creatives, whether our game will, you know, fit these kind of uh, ad creatives and these new trends or not, and how can we actually benefit uh, from our core concepts uh, for creating this kind of ad creatives, for you know capturing these kind of new new uh, marketing trends in the market. This is this is I think also uh, very important. When you said uh, about these numbers, uh, I think we need to talk. Uh, we need to think about the marketing as well. Yeah, that's good. Uh, it seems a lot of 
companies who have been doing hyper casual are trying to pivot now to more like the the meta game casual side of things uh where do you see those companies having problems yeah yeah there are many companies right now they are trying to pivot uh, i think uh first we need to actually differentiate between hyper casual and casual so like i have already you know talked about that hyper casual is more uh you know like marketing driven and fast kind of uh, games and eventually these kind of games are really very short living games uh, this is the main difference i mean very short living games when you have one game it will be you know it will be dead like six months later or let's say at most one year later in hyper casual so that means that you need to come up huge amount of games uh at the same time which is uh very very difficult for a game developer studio. I mean, it's very, very difficult. So if you're a hyper-casual game development studio, I think that means that it's extremely difficult to create a scalable business, scalable company. You can still create great profits. You can earn money. You can build your company. You can do lots of stuff uh, as a startup. But you can't, I think, create, or it will be extremely difficult to create a really scalable, huge gaming company because these games are very, very short-living games. So I think in that point, if you would like to work on a hyper-casual, I think being a publisher is much better option because when you're a publisher, that means that you can come up, you can, you can come up with thousands of games at the same time. But being a publisher is a totally different thing than being a game developer studio. So I think this is one of the, the main studios' main pain point. They actually maybe wanted to create a really scalable company, but they realized that with these short-living games, it's very, very difficult. Uh, so for us, for example, the story is a little bit different here. We never actually come up with a strategy for hyper-casual. It was always like a, for us like entering the market really fast and building the setup. So that's why it was a different topic for us at that point. And there is one more point that I would like to add, actually. Although these companies are trying to enter the casual puzzle, uh, I mean, sorry, casual right now, they will face, I think, many difficulties on the on the way as well. Because until now, they were working on, uh, and we have seen the same stuff as well. I mean, until now, they were working on very marketing-driven, only marketing marketability-focused, uh, and like, you know, very fast prototyping kind of games. But right now, they need to focus on the product and they need to focus on the execution, which is a totally different path, actually. So I think they will also face these kind of uh, uh, difficulties on the way as well. Yeah, makes sense, man. Think about like, because I'm looking at games company pitches every day. A lot of people have reached out to me uh, since I have this angel activity going on. And, and everybody's pitching the the rapid prototyping and early soft launch, but Sort of what I'm usually missing in these pitches is talking about your specific audience and the insights about that particular market. So looking at the startups that have spawned from peak games from like your region, uh, everybody's been quite successful, at least in the early stages of raising funding uh, from like the best VCs in the world, which usually signals uh, that there's something good happening there like Dream Games, Spike Games, and now, uh, and you guys as well now recently raised the second round from Index. Uh, what is it? Do you, do you know so much about this casual audience that it's sort of like easy to create success? Like, is there something that's done differently 
or was done at peak in a different way to understand the audience and the market mm-hmm. that you can apply now in your own startups? Yeah, I think my answer would be like, I guess, hidden in the other answers that I answered to other questions, let's say. So I can just like, uh, uh, you know, I will repeat them maybe right now. Uh, yeah, go for it. So, so, sorry about being boring about it. No, but, but I don't feel that the magic here is about the, I mean, yeah, let's say yeah. I don't I don't feel the magic here is uh, knowing the casual uh, audience. Of course, it is important, but I think uh, it's more important to like you know it's more important to analyze the market and the best players. Uh, it's more important because it is very very difficult to understand the casual audience actually. So and it's very difficult to go and ask as well, right? I mean, you can go and ask and. You, uh, and they will mislead you because they also don't know what they want uh, eventually, the casual uh, uh, market. Uh, so I think best way to understand the market here is analyzing the best uh, games uh, because if you look, you know, these games are extremely successful. So that means that users, players, they love these games and they loved it. They loved them for a reason. So that's why I think it's uh, the, the, the best, uh, one of the best, Think that we, you can do while you're building a game, uh, just analyzing the successful games in this market uh, and trying to understand the trends as well. Uh, this is one thing. And the other thing, I think, uh, again, focusing on the constant improvements, like, uh, you know, everybody has great ideas in their mind. But for us, it's not like you have a great idea, we have a great idea, let's do that. it's not like that. All the ideas are just for us at testing points to understand whether there's an improvement or not. So, and we are doing this constantly and we will do this five years later as well. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's a good good summarizing of it. Uh, you recently raised a round from Index. Like, what is the plan now? You were talking about like going from hyper-casual to casual, but what does that look like really? It's, um, you know, it's actually, there are a couple of things. First, we are, for example, 18 people right now. And we are increasing the team size, like maybe towards the 25 or something. Because like team size and is very, very important because these games takes really long time to build. So a team is uh, very important to make it kind of, let's say, faster. And, you know, these casual puzzle titles, they both need lots of uh, team. Uh, I mean, big, big team size and really long time to build these games. And also... Uh, and also, uh, it's possible that you ca- maybe you can't come up with, uh, with the success with the first game. So it's very, very important. I think this is this is valid for all gaming uh, studios. I think it's very important to uh, let people feel that in the team. Let people feel that it's totally possible to fail in the first game. Uh, so they shouldn't actually, I think, demotivated uh, on the way. So eventually. We are committed to come up with a like great product, and it can take time or it can take trials. So I think money also like these fundings also make this psychology possible in these uh, gaming studios. So actually, you know, there is nothing uh, really different in our plans uh, about this investment, or there is nothing that we really change a lot. All the team is going to work in the product, and we still have our hypercasual games in the market we're not uh, working on them we're not uh, having new releases for them but the good part here is marketing team is still spending a lot of money for these games so that means that while we were working on 
for the new product, let's say, this marketing team can still learn more from the market and, uh, you know, uh, still do practicing and also still stay motivated because mm -hmm. they work on something. Yeah, so that you you basically like when you have the new game for them, they're sort of like the best best team you could ever hope for. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's that's the plan. Definitely. Yeah, man. Hey, let's go to some final questions here. What is Hawk on your favorite book book and why? Yeah, yeah, I am actually uh, not a really a uh, you know book person. I mean, yeah, I'm not extremely a book person. The reason behind uh, this is. I am extremely slow reader. I know you would be surprised how slow I am, and uh, and also I forgot uh, forget in general what I read. So I just you know came to a point that it's it it becomes a, a kind of waste of time for me to read a lot of books. But uh, yeah, it's, it, that's that's about me. I, I'm you know uh, of course it should be great to read lots of books. But uh, for like uh, last couple of years, you know, I didn't read a lot of books, but one of the books that I really liked is very cliche, I think, but uh, I think uh, Sapiens. Uh, it was, I don't know how many people said you that Sapiens there is their favorite book, maybe 10, I don't know, but yeah. uh, Sapiens is, a, I think, great book. I really liked it. So, uh, you know, we, really, we live in a really like, you know, our we don't think about our regular daily lives uh, in general. Uh, and we don't think that how come we came to this point and, you know, about everything, about the money, about the, uh, like a democracy, let's say about all these rules that we like now uh, live in. So we don't actually question this stuff uh, in our daily life. So actually this, this book really uh, made, made it always to me about like how we came to this point. But yeah, like, you know, uh, actually, the Sapiens is my my favorite book for the last couple of years. There's actually a, a like a graphic novel, like a illustrated book on on from say like Sapiens, a version where it's basically like a comic book. Uh, ah. I'm trying trying to get that one. I, I saw yeah, it. Okay, I can. A friend had it, so I can I can check that out as well. Do you have a story that has shaped you in how you approach your work today? Yeah, it's, it sounds like a little bit like interview uh, questions uh, that we were getting before. Actually, like there's nothing really, uh, I don't know, let's say really interesting story uh, that I have that shaped how I approach. But I think like what can I say here is uh, last couple of years, you know, I had a really quite new really quite new experience, which is like launching a startup. So I didn't have this kind of uh, experience before. I think uh, this experience, of course, have lots of learnings in it. Uh, and I think uh, th this is actually very similar, very similar about how I work in, for example, Peak. But the main difference here, what I you know deal with here is more diverse and more dense, let's say. I mean, uh, lots of uh, different stuff at the same time I need to deal with. Uh, and like throughout this experience, I realized that there is not only one way, there is not only one correct way to actually to to become a successful company. There are different, uh, you know, decision making uh, 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 types and th there are different cultures, there are different team types, there are different markets or genres or let's say, I mean, like there are many different options in front of us. And I was like too nervous at the beginning uh, about what do I do? But I realized that there is not only one way 
to become a really successful company uh, or become a successful person in life. So that's, that's, I mean, this is not one kind of story, but it's in general a feeling. It's kind of a feeling uh, in general after I started this uh, uh, bigger games. Uh, this is one of the things that I really uh, affected my you know, decision making or feeling in general about uh, my daily life. Yeah, man, that's really good. Hey, as the final question for you, Hakan, uh, if entrepreneurs want to talk with you, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Yeah, I think I think my email address, uh, which is uh, my name and surname, uh, it's Hakan Ulwan at biggergames.com. I think this is the fastest and the easiest way. Uh, LinkedIn might work as well, but I'm not good at uh, LinkedIn that much about you know replying, <laughs> etc. So email is the best. Cool, man. Hey, thanks so much for doing this, Hakan. Uh, and all the best for you and, and the team there in, in Istanbul. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for this podcast. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again, Hakan, for coming on the show. If you like our content, please do hit follow or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app. And if you're not yet our newsletter subscriber, Please check that out at EliteGameDevelopers.com slash newsletter, where we share every Friday a new set of things regarding gaming startups, investing, raising funding, whatnot. So check that out. And I'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.